Good morning. Our scripture this morning comes from 2 Chronicles 32, 24 through 33. In those days, Hezekiah became sick and was at the point of death, and he prayed to the Lord, and he answered him and gave him a sign. But Hezekiah did not make return according to the benefit done to him, for his heart was proud. Therefore wrath came upon him and Judah and Jerusalem. But Hezekiah humbled himself for the pride of his heart, both he and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the wrath of the Lord did not come upon them in the days of Hezekiah. And Hezekiah had very great riches and honor, and he made for himself treasuries for silver, for gold, for precious stones, for spices, for shields, and for all kinds of costly vessels. Storehouses also for the yield of grain, wine, and oil, and stalls for all kinds of cattle and sheepfolds. He likewise provided cities for himself and flocks and herds in abundance, for God had given him very great possessions. This same Hezekiah closed the upper outlet of the waters of Gihon and directed them down to the west side of the city of David. And Hezekiah prospered in all his works. And so in the matter of the envoys of the princes of Babylon, who had been sent to him to inquire about the sign that had been done in the land of God, God left him to himself in order to test him and to know all that was in his heart. Now the rest of the acts of Hezekiah and his good deeds, behold, they are written in the vision of Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, in the book of Kings of Judah and Israel. And Hezekiah slept with his fathers, and they buried him in the upper part of the tombs of the sons of David, and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem did him honor at his death. And Manasseh his son reigned in his place. The word of God. Well, today is our last day, thank you, Derek, in this sermon series. I've so enjoyed this series on trust, haven't you? And getting to know Hezekiah as we have. And we come to this final chapter in his life. And as we do, uh, it is uh, a test that Hezekiah faced. Uh, you, if you have been in school for any length of time, and I look around and see some Montreat students here this morning, some of my Montreat students are here this morning, you have, uh, you've been tested. You have taken a test once or twice, and, and at least my students will have their final exam on this Tuesday. But it was the uh, Tuesday before Thanksgiving, and I did uh, what... Uh, no one should ever do. Uh, I gave a pretty major quiz that day. And that's the day that people like to dip out early, right? Uh, uh, school is done at the end of that day. People like to dip out early, but I decided to give a quiz and I look out and uh, 15 of my 26 students are there. So 11 of them have dipped out and uh, that. There's no makeup for a quiz when you dip out like that. And some of them had told me why they were uh, playing ball, so I knew that, but others, they just wanted to go home early. 
And so I watch these students. It's the biggest quiz I've given all year, and they're just so uh, working so hard. And all of a sudden, Alan Michael, who teaches right above me, walks into my classroom and sits on the back row. And so when he sits on the back row, I've got my computer in front of me, which I can text from, and I text him and say, what are you doing? No, 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 I didn't. I asked him out loud. I said, what's going on? He said, only had six to show up out of his 25 to 30. Well, at least we have more of mine who showed up, so I was uh, thrilled about that. And as I watched them taking this test and laboriously working on it, one sitting right front and center, as I watched them take this test and I could see the angst and the anxiety, I thought, you know what I should do? I should give them just a few minutes with full access to their notes. You should reward faithfulness, right? The 15 who showed up, they ought to get that little perk. So I text Alan Michael at that point and I said, I'm thinking about giving my students either five or 10 minutes with their notes and immediately this many fingers went up in the back from Alan Michael. So I made the announcement, you have 10 minutes beginning now, open notes. All of a sudden, all over the room, I saw one kid sitting in the back row turn his eraser over and just start erasing everything. <laughs> like everything. I, when I graded those things, there was mark throughs. There was so much stuff. And these students were so grateful. Well, life is, is similar in the sense that we will be tested. If you've walked with God any period of time, you know that you've been through a test. And so this morning's sermon is intended for those of you who are going through the test right now. So today is day of testing, or this week, or this month, or perhaps this year, is a time of testing, and you need to make some sense of God in it. Or you've been through one, and perhaps this will be an affirming response uh, as you look back on what you've gone through, or you're about to go through one, and this will be preparation for you. We discover the anatomy of a test God gives by being able to look into the life of Hezekiah and um, the end of his life. And the first reality of this test is a bit shocking and a bit frightening, I would say. And here it is, God will leave you to yourself. Let me read uh, what Mark has already read. Let me read it once again, just one verse. Second Chronicles 32, 31. And so in the matter of the envoys of the princes of Babylon, who had been sent to him, to Hezekiah, to inquire about the sign that had been done in the land, God left him to himself. God left Hezekiah to himself in order to test him to know all that was in his heart. Hezekiah has endured an unbelievably difficult trial. He has fallen ill, we discover last time, so sick that he is about to die. 
God miraculously heals him, adds 15 years to his life, gives an unbelievable sign where he turns back time and affirms him that Assyria will not besiege Jerusalem in Hezekiah's lifetime. And so you would think with all of that, wow, things ought to be really good. We discover from his psalm that he wrote, thanks to Isaiah sharing that, that Hezekiah said it was my sin that was part to blame for what I went through. But then there's the rest of his life. This was mid-life for him. You would think then, after all of this, he's been healed, uh, Assyria will not besiege, he's going to spend the rest of his life grateful for the extra 15 years and never forget what God has done for him. Don't assume that. Don't assume that any more than you uh, and I have a tendency to forget what God's done for us. We do forget, don't we? We sometimes lose sight of the goodness of God, the greatness of God, the gifts God has given us. We can look back through our own personal histories and see where, how did we lose sight of you, God? How did we forget what you did? And so, verses 24 and 25 is a reminder. In those days, Hezekiah became sick, was at the point of death. He prayed for the Lord, to the Lord, and he answered him and gave him a sign. But Hezekiah did not make return according to the benefit done to him, for his heart was proud. Therefore, wrath came upon him and Judah and Jerusalem. Hezekiah did not make return. He did not give God glory. Instead, he became proud. And what did that pride lead him to? Second Kings tells us, at that time, Merodach Baladon, the son of Baladon, king of Babylon, sent envoys with letters and a present to Hezekiah, for he heard that Hezekiah had been sick. And Hezekiah welcomed this envoy and, and showed them all his treasure house, the silver, the gold, the spices, the precious oil, his armory, all that was found in his storehouses. There was nothing in his house or in all his realm that Hezekiah did not show them. Not good. This pagan king comes to pay you a visit. He has heard that you've been sick and now you're well. According to the writer of Chronicles, he knew about the sign, the, the sun changing. This is a wonderful opportunity to talk about the greatness of God, isn't it? It's a wonderful opportunity to tell him, yes, this is what happened. I turned my face to the wall when I did. God answered me, turned Isaiah around, brought him back and told me I was going to be well. Uh-uh, what does Hezekiah do? Come look at all I have. Look at my gold, look at my silver, look at the spices, look at the precious oil, look at all my weapons, Isaiah shows up, he represents God. Then Isaiah the prophet came to King Hezekiah and said to him, what did these men say and 
From where did they come to you? And Hezekiah said, they have come from a far country, from Babylon. And he said, what have they seen in your house? And Hezekiah answered, they have seen all that is in my house. There is nothing in my storehouses that I did not show them. Hmm. Hmm. Why does that matter? You see, Babylon is not yet a superpower. Assyria is still the superpower, a capital city, Nineveh. But Babylon is trying to overthrow Assyria, and in so doing, what they're trying to do is to establish an alliance to get Hezekiah on their side. What Hezekiah does not know, which Isaiah will later predict, one of the most staggering predictions of Isaiah was that during a time when Assyria would be the, uh, the superpower, he uh, predicted that Babylon would be the nation that would overthrow Judah in the south a hundred years before it actually happened. All Hezekiah had to do was tell his story, talk about his God. Rather than show them his God, he showed them his gold. Let me ask you a question. What are you known for? What I mean by that is if you were to ask two or three very important people in your life who know you well, describe me in four or five words. Be careful. You might not like what you hear. What words would they use? How would they characterize you? Hezekiah knew himself at least for what he had and for what he had done. In 1982, it's kind of hard to believe today, but that was a good while back, Chick-fil-A fell on hard times. It's hard to believe, isn't it? If you go to a Chick-fil-A today, you jump in line with everybody else who decides to go to Chick-fil-A every day. But in 1982, they fell on hard times. Truett Cathy, the founder, the CEO, took his executive team into the mountains of Georgia to figure things out. They stayed three days there. Kathy writes about it in one of his books. They stayed three days in the mountain of Georgia, mountains of Georgia on a retreat, figuring things out. And he said, this is where we landed. Came back into Atlanta, Georgia to corporate headquarters with this statement. Chick-fil-A exists to glorify God by being a faithful steward of all that is entrusted to us to have a positive influence on all who come in contact with Chick-fil-A. Kathy writes that when they shared that with the, uh, uh, the, the junior execs who were there, those program leaders, the people in different departments, they looked at them, mouths fell open and said, is that all you got? No strategy? You didn't come back with with these steps that you're go we've got to take to fix this financial problem we found ourselves in, none of that, Kathy said no. That's it. We'll move forward with this. And so they did. Hezekiah faced a similar moment, didn't he? 
Rather than tell the envoy from Babylon about his God who, who came through at the last minute and healed him and, and gave that supernatural sign, he, he showed them what he had done. And when the envoys came, God stepped back and said, take the test. That phrase, left to himself, is defined as temporary abandonment. That's scary to think about, isn't it? Perhaps you've never thought of a God who would do this, but if you've been to college, away from the safety of mom and dad, he most likely did. He left you to yourself for a moment. If you've worked for an ungodly boss, you've felt it. If you've been maligned by a close friend, you've wondered where God is. But why would God do such a thing? That's the second part of the test in order to test you. To test is to prove, to demonstrate. That's what you do in a test. When I pray for my students, uh, as I will on Tuesday, before they take their final exam, any student who's had me, who's heard me pray for them, I never pray for a miracle. I, I just don't. I pray for them to remember what they've studied. That's what I pray for. God, bring to their mind what they've studied, and I'll throw in there and give them some grace, Right? But I don't pray for God to come storming into the room and all of a sudden light bulbs go off and they learn things in the moment. Uh, uh, seldom happens, if ever. No, a test proves or demonstrates what a student has. Moses is given a series of, uh, of uh, speeches to the children of Israel who are about to cross the Jordan River and go into the promised land. And Moses can't go with him because he failed the test. So he can't go with him into the promised land. And here's what he says, Deuteronomy 8. The whole commandment that I command you today, you shall be careful to do, that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness that he might humble you. And there's the word. What does it say? Test in you to know what is in your heart. Whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and let you hunger. All right, so that test, God said, let's let them go hungry and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know. That's a key phrase. That he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Moses says, remember the wilderness when you get to the promised land. Remember the wilderness when you get to the promised land. Hezekiah got to the promised land in his kingdom, but forgot the dying difficulty of the wilderness, didn't he? How easy it is for us to get to the promised land of our lives. A single person gets married, and as a married woman, she's 
thrilled and happy to be married and forgets the angst of being single. Remember the wilderness that you walked through and the God who provided for you when you come into the promised land and see all that he has done. Now, this kind of test is interesting. He let them go hungry, and they got hangry about it. And they complained, and they, they, they whined about it, and God provided manna. It's a long text, but I'll share it with you. When the people of Israel saw it, the manna, they said to one another, what is it? Uh, they didn't know what it was. They had never seen it. And Moses said to them, it is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather of it, each one of you, as much as he can eat. And Moses said to them, let no one leave any of it over until the morning. Just get enough for today. That's what he says. Verse 20, if you've ever been a parent, this resonates. But they did not what? Listen. Listen. Does that sound familiar to anybody? Any parent in the room goes, and then within two minutes, kid's like, what? They didn't hear what you had to say. Any teacher in the room knows that, don't you? And then all of a sudden, I never heard that. No, you did. I said it. I know I said it. Never heard it. But they did not listen to Moses. Some left part of it till the morning and it bred worms and stank. I seldom get to say the word stank, but it feels kind of good. It stank. It bred worms. And Moses was angry with them. Morning by morning, they gathered it, each as much as he could eat. But when the sun grew hot, it melted. Ah, enough for today. You just need enough for one day. Trust me, God says. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much bread, two armors each. And when all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, this is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is the day of solemn rest, the holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake and boil what you will boil. And all that is left over lay aside to be kept till the morning. So they laid it aside till the morning as Moses commanded and it didn't stink and there were no worms. What does that tell you? There was nothing magical in the manna. There was everything in the word. Right. Jesus quoted this, man will not live on bread, but on the word. And so the magic wasn't in the manna, but verse 27, on the seventh day, some of the people went out together, but they found none. Why? They didn't listen. Gather enough for two days. Nope, they missed that little detail and they're hungry. Why? Because they didn't gather, they didn't trust that it wouldn't rot. And the Lord said to Moses, how long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Then he talks about the Sabbath. Uh, verse 31, now the house of Israel called its name manna. It was like coriander seed white, and the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. Sounds good, doesn't it? Mm. The manna was provided for two reasons. To satisfy their hunger and to test them. Jesus, New Testament, Lord, teach us to pray. Jesus, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, 
Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our what? Oh, where does he get that from? Enough for today. Uh, right from here. God did it to test Israel in the wilderness so they could pass the test in the promised land. Uh, but why? That's the third third section of the test to, to know all that is in your heart. And the obvious question is, well, God knows everything, doesn't he? Yeah, he does. And if he knows everything, what does he say to know all that is in your heart? Because you and I don't know what's in our own hearts. That's the problem, isn't it? We're, we're so good at deceiving ourselves. Jeremiah 17, 9 and 10, the heart is deceitful above all things and, and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. Now let's go back and, and reread 27, 28, 29, and 30. And Hezekiah had very great riches, and listen, had very great riches and honors. And he made, did you miss this little prepositional phrase? He made what? What does it say? For himself. He made for himself treasuries for silver, for gold, for precious stones, for spices, for shields, and for all kinds of costly vessels, storehouses also for the yield of grain, wine and oil, and stalls for all kinds of cattle and sheepfolds. He likewise provided cities for himself and flocks and herds in abundance, for God had given him great possessions. This same Hezekiah closed the upper outlet of the waters of Gihon and directed them down to the west side of the city of David. And Hezekiah prospered in all his works. If you go to Israel today, this is what you would be able to look at. Hezekiah did it. Check out the screen. He was brilliant and proud, wealthy and proud, gifted and proud, amazing and proud, a leader and proud. Success is often a greater temptation than failure. Um, every good thing given and every perfect gift comes from where? He did repent and he led all of Judah to repent. I love that about Hezekiah, don't you? And they did and God blessed him 
and he was buried in an honorable place. If there was ever someone who could be proud of his accomplishments, it was this man, not Hezekiah. No, this other man. He took everything, looked at nothing, and made everything. His words were powerful enough to create. He said, let there be, and there was. He, the spoken word of creation, according to John's gospel, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, Verse 1 of chapter 1 and verse 13, and the word became flesh and dwelled among us, and we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. He, he, he had stuff to be proud of. And he too was tested. As a matter of fact, at the, at the climax of his test, he quoted an Old Testament psalm, 22, verse 1. My God, my God, why have you what? forsaken me? Same word used to describe Temporary abandonment. Read the rest of Psalm 22 and you'll discover that a psalm that predated Roman crucifixion describes it in remarkably vivid detail. There's words about casting lots for someone's clothing. And David wrote the psalm. Jesus is quoting the psalm. Jesus, the, the son of God, the creator of the universe who became one of you and me and, and did it perfectly, was temporarily abandoned by his father. My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Why? Was it for something he did? No. No, Jesus was temporarily abandoned. I think if you go to the Corinthian letter where it says, for our sake, God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Uh, Jesus became our sin. He took our sin on himself. He was temporarily, temporarily abandoned, left to himself. It's one thing for you and I to feel the distance of God. But before Christ, we, we didn't know his nearness. Jesus had never felt his absence. Because in eternity past, there was a beautiful family 
called God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. They loved life, loved one another, lived in impeccable harmony. But on the cross, on the cross, Jesus was abandoned so that you would be adopted. Jesus was forsaken so that you would be forgiven. Wow. You say, what what should that do for me? I would say two things come to mind. One is if you're being tested, you're in good company. And if Jesus can cry out to God in angst, so can you. Don't, don't, don't push back from being honest with God about how you feel in the test you're experiencing right now. If your kids are wandering from God and it is breaking your heart, tell the God who, whose son died in your place that. If your marriage feels like it is just being ripped apart at, at, at the core of it and it's breaking your heart, there is a God in heaven who heard his own son cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He can handle your honest cry. If in 2021 you lost a son or lost a daughter, you lost a mom or a dad, a brother or a sister, a grandmother and grief just grips you and seems to wrestle the life out of you and there's some days you wonder can I get myself up out of bed there is a God in heaven who heard the scream of his only begotten son when he screamed from the cross and I guarantee you whatever time of day or night he's listening he's got you he hears It's a test. It's a test. If the doctor says it's cancer, it's a test. The second implication is there is an ultimate test. One that requires perfection, complete and total perfection that you and I can never pass. And when Jesus screamed out, he sat in the seat you and I should have been sitting in and he took the test that had your name and mine on it so that all I have to do is to trust the ultimate taker of the test. And believe it or not, there's no curve like this one. I get his score. Written at the top of my paper, that's some red ink I can rejoice in, isn't it? Oh, we long for Hezekiah to be a hero. And we long for others to be heroes.
there's only one. His name is Jesus, amen? Would you bow your heads? With your heads bowed, I have a, a simple question. Are you right now being tested? It's hard. And you say, Jerry, would you pray for me? Just slip up your hand. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. 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 I see your hand. I see your hand. Yes, I see your hand. I see your hand. Yes. Wow. I see your hand. Thank you. Wow. Lord, I love these people. And you love them more than I. My love for them as pastor is quite imperfect. It's flawed. I stumble over my own self at times. But your love, how deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure. Jesus, remind them that you hear that they are in you and you are in them and that you've taken, if they know you, the ultimate test and they will pass with flying colors. The final exam is over. These are quizzes. May they run to you, cry out to you. Comfort them, relieve them. Lord, maybe 10 minutes of grace. I even now hear their tears in this room those online are being tested. Some of them can't be here because of tests they're facing right now. Oh, Spirit, flow in, speak, comfort, heal, Inform. Jesus, thank you for your temporary abandonment that we may have eternal closeness. Pray this in your name and all God's people say, Amen. This year for Christmas, we are doing something we've never done before here, and that is the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. 
Um, this is an offering that is taken among churches all throughout uh, the United States, uh, and this offering goes 100% of the giving goes directly to missionaries on the mission field. So some of you have already given, but next Sunday, there'll be envelopes uh, out for you to give uh, to Lottie Moon. We have a goal, maybe it's ambitious, uh, but it's $25,000 that we're hoping as a church we will give. And again, 100% of that goes to these missionaries. So come next week ready to give. I want to do one other thing this morning. Every time one of our staff members uh, celebrates an anniversary here of being on staff. Uh, Jerry always recognizes and honors us. And just this week, um, he uh, has celebrated 21 years of being the pastor here. So would you let him know your appreciation? He hates these moments. That's why he's slipping off the stage. Um, but we are thankful for uh, his leadership and how he pastors here. If you are new to Grace today, he'll be out at the guest tent. He would love to talk with you. Stop by there. We have a gift for you. Um, and uh, if not, then uh, if you need prayer this morning, Alex Marsh uh, and I will be up front ready to pray with you. You guys have a great week. See you next Sunday.